Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Shotgun for Prescott. He drops to throw. Looking, looking, fires middle of the field, and that ball is picked off! It is picked off by Rayshon Jenkins! He's running it back along the right sideline! That is going to be a touchdown! That is going to be a touchdown! The Jags are going to win it on a Rayshon Jenkins pick six! Are you kidding me? How good is that? Back and looking, throws wide open left side. Brock right with it, to the 30, comes back to the 10, to the 5, yes. to the end zone. Touchdown, Detroit Lions. Oh, baby, how big is that? Snap spot. Joseph, right-footed kick. It is good! And the Minnesota Vikings have completed the greatest comeback in the history of the National Football League. Raiders only have three up by the line of scrimmage. Mac Jones hands it off on a draw to Ramondre Stevenson. Breaks out of a tackle at the 50. Has the 45. Breaks away from another tackle. Pitches it backwards. And now Jacoby Myers spinning around. He throws it to Chandler Jones in midfield. Chandler Jones racing towards the end zone. Yes, Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. This might be one of the dumbest teams I've ever seen. This is a heads roll type freaking play right here. Oh my God. Hop day homers. Always fun. That play is still amazing. Mike, I've gotten such a a kick out of watching back the play and viewing the guys on the sidelines that even when I watch the game back on film, just it's amazing the reactions and things you see when that play was unfolding from some of the coaches and guys on the sidelines. Well, that contributed to a drop of five spots by the New England Patriots from number 10 down to number 15 in the power rankings. They're on the outside looking in in the playoff chase, and they may not get in at all. We shall see. But, Chris, that top six, we talked about it last week. There are six teams 
that feel like viable contenders. The Cowboys lost and fell three spots, but they are still in that same top six. That's the line between six and seven, between the true contenders and the everyone else. And maybe the Dolphins can invade as a representative of the everyone else. Maybe the Commanders, maybe the Giants, maybe the Lions who are now up to number 11, maybe the Chargers, if they just let Justin Herbert throw the ball around more than they currently do. But it, it really is feeling like the champion's going to come from from those top six, maybe those top five. Maybe I'm ready to cross off the Cowboys after seeing what they've done the past two weeks. You know, they looked so dominant at one point. And now, between almost losing to the Texans and losing to the Jaguars, squandering a 17-point lead, maybe maybe they fall out and it's five teams that legitimately can win it. Well, that's what's frustrating about the Cowboys sometimes. I think they're still a team we've got to keep in that cream of the crop group. I do. Uh, the Texans game, you know, I think we've seen teams kind of fall asleep at the wheel knowing they're playing the Houston Texans. And they made some mistakes where you know, they, they controlled the game and the physical aspect of it, but you know, had some turnovers and things that just, uh, again, it's the NFL, it's professional football, where if you give the team too many advantages, you're going to be in a dogfight. Last week, the, the thing with them was, hey, the offense made the mistakes in Dak Prescott against Houston. Well, the offense played great against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I know Dak Prescott threw two interceptions. He was unlucky, just like we just saw right there. That was an appropriate throw to Noah Brown there to get the first down. He can't knock that ball up in the air. He threw it low and safe to protect him so he could catch it, curl up, get the first down, keep the drive going. He put the ball exactly where it was supposed to. His other interception, you know, maybe we can question the play call because they're up by 10 and all that, but they're throwing it. His arm gets hit as he's throwing the football. Ball goes over the receiver's head, interception. They fixed that part, but then it was the defense that let them down last week. So, you know, they are a little bit of a roller coaster. We know that. And that's one of the problems with the Cowboys. It's just it's Dallas. They're the king of Texas, and everybody tells them how awesome they are when they're awesome. But I still I still think they're there, Mike. Who, who okay, out of that top six is your, like, number one team that can upset that, that you look at? I know you mentioned some of them, and I know you're, you didn't maybe mention the Vikings, but who, who's the one that you just – that just screams to you, ooh, they could be a team that messes up this top six. Last week I said the Commanders. Yeah. I feel differently, obviously, after last week's games. I'm not going to take the bait again with the Vikings that this tremendous win becomes the thrust that pushes them to a Super Bowl win because the last time they had a big win like that, what happened? They lost 40-3 to against the Cowboys. And I think they're going to have a hard time recovering through emotion what happened last Saturday when the Giants come to town because the Giants are still trying to punch their ticket. I think the Chargers currently can do it if they can stay healthy and if they embrace Justin Herbert and let him go out and be who he's capable of being. I think the Lions, if they get in, and I think the Packers, who aren't on the front screen yet, the Packers, if they get in, are going to be a handful for the reason we've already discussed. They figured out what they need to do, and they're doing it. The question is, can they win enough games to get to the postseason in order to do it there? And if the Vikings are the two seed and the Packers or the Lions are the seven seed, upset alert in the wild card round, Chris. Yeah, I I, I hear you there. I do. Uh, may not even be an upset. May not Charger or the Packers may be favored. If they're playing the Vikings in Minnesota by well, the time we get to that point. Yeah, we'll see. We can, we're gonna see the I, I gotta see a little more of the Packers before I can buy on buy onto that storyline first. 
And I, I, I do. I mean, I know it was a step in the right direction, but I, I'm not ready to, like, ooh, crown them as back yet. And I hear your points. I mean, if, if they got in, I, I get it. They got some weapons, and Roger still – his arm is still live, and he's not going to be intimidated to where they'd be scary. I just it's, – it's the whole team and everything about it. I, I got to see a little bit more. I do. But I, I'm with you with your Chargers thought. I do think they're a team to watch out for. I don't think we've given them enough credit for the fact of they've been a very beat up football team, and you know again we, that for those reasons, hey, I, I don't know who to blame. I understand that's a, a reoccurring issue there out there in Los Angeles, but at the same time, it is a reality. And man, if Bosa gets back, and you know there's a chance that Rashawn Slater, their awesome left tackle, could be back. The receivers are back. Uh, that that could be that could be a team. Yeah, you don't want to see them. Another team I'll throw in there. I'm gonna the Dolphins in that are in that 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 category for me too, Mike. I know they lost three in a row, but there's like some parts of me that feel better about them in a lot of ways. They answered some questions for me last week. They did. I mean, going up in the cold, playing in those elements, they didn't melt under those conditions or freeze. I should say, maybe more appropriately, Tua wasn't like yes. totally outmatched or bad that way. So th- those are two that jump out to me, and the Ravens. If Lamar Jackson gets back and the O-line stays healthy, those are three teams in, in my little list that I could see maybe upsetting that, that top six, Mike. Surprised you didn't mention the Jaguars. Yeah, I know. I'm not ready to say they can upset that. You know, They might jump into the party and get in the playoffs and be a little scary, but I'm not ready to say they'll upset the uh, top six quite yet. The Dolphins went up a spot even though they lost, so I agree with your assessment that in defeat, they nevertheless impressed. And that Packers-Dolphins game Ooh. on Christmas Day. Yeah. I mean, we went from early in the season, okay, yeah, well, it's football, it's Christmas, it's yeah. And then it's like, oh, man, all these games are going to be bad. All of them are going to be bad. And now one of them is emerging. And that's why I said yesterday they should be able to slide them around on Christmas Day and move that 1 o'clock game to a better spot because that's the best game of the day by far. And and I'm, I'm – I'm sorry if that offends the sensibilities of anyone at 345 Park Avenue, but it's true. And they need to account maybe some flexibility into that. If they want to take over Christmas and they want to be a viable alternative to the NBA, they better make sure they deliver good games that day like they did this past Saturday when they can engineer it to pick the games that they put on that Saturday, showdown Saturday, whatever they called it. And they got two out of three great games, and the third one was still pretty good. It just yeah. paled in comparison right. to the first one and the third one. They need that flexibility. But Packers-Dolphins, great, great game coming up to start the slate on Christmas Day because both teams need it, and we'll find out a lot about these teams. We'll find out a lot about the Green Bay Packers. Has it, you know, because who have they really beaten? In fairness, yeah. Who have they really beaten since they've turned this corner? That's right. The that's Bears what I mean. right. and the Rams. That's right. BFD. Exactly. You beat two and on in company, then you're impressing. Some that, that, that's what I'm saying. I need to see a little bit more there, right? You know, I, I I hear what you're saying. I see the potential a little bit, and you know, maybe they can do something. But this this is this is a different animal than the last two teams they've played. I mean, one team is just playing for culture and toughness with the Bears the Rams are a total disaster now they're playing a team that's you know played some tough games it's crucial it's on their field and they're explosive and as talented as any team in football and they're certainly more explosive and talented than the Green Bay Packers so this will be a a big test to know if Green Bay is for real and can make a for real push here at the end of the season 
couple of questions real quick. Ramos, Mark, explanation for the Bengals being ranked lower than the Chiefs. Well, the Chiefs are a better team and they have a better record. I know the Bengals beat them in Cincinnati, but the Chiefs are still the better team, and I feel better about the Chiefs potentially winning the Super Bowl than the Bengals, especially if the Chiefs can avoid playing the Bengals in the postseason. Well, listen, I think this is a good conversation. I, I do. I, I understand what what our what our man at Ramos Mark is saying here a little. I I think you like you know. And again, I'm not saying I would do this, but I do think you can make the argument that the the Bengals are the best team the best team in the AFC maybe from top to bottom. I worry about the Chiefs defense a little bit. I can't lie. I know they got Magic Man at quarterback. You know, I worry about the Bills and that you know the defense is is good. It's not great, and then it's just. It's the Josh Allen show. I mean, how can you? I mean, the things he did the other night. I mean, come on. There's not a lot of people open. There's not a lot of anything. It's just him throwing lasers and making unreal plays. To where the Bengals, the defense is legit. They can they can stop the run. They can cover people. You know, they can do all that. The O line, since it's been fixed here, they can run the ball a little bit, and we know they can throw, and so they can play a little bit of every game. I guess that's my thing here. I don't know if. There's a team that really the Bengals will play that really pose any, ooh, whoa, that's a tough matchup for them. That's, that, that's all my food for thought is. I don't, you know, that's where they're good. They match up about with any style of play, and that's where they're maybe a little different than the, the Bills and the Chiefs. Another question, Dan and his base. If Purdy has the hot hand and Jimmy G is healthy again, who gets the start? Is this another Alex Smith, Colin Kaepernick situation? I Absolutely. It's a no-brainer. No Purdy brainer. stays. Right. Purdy plays until Purdy's injured, if that happens. Jimmy G is not getting back on the field because they finally found a way to break the spell permanently with Jimmy G. <laughs> right. You don't put him back out there. Then you got to figure out what you're going to do with him in 2023. you got to pay him. you got to do something. It's over with Jimmy G. It's Purdy and it's Trey Lance for 2023 and beyond. I think that's a no-brainer. Purdy is the guy. He's looked better than Jimmy G has all year long in the three games that we've seen Purdy. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's not a crazy statement. You're right. I mean, he brings some element to their team that, that Jimmy G did not bring. And and the way he's throwing the ball in the drop back pass game, and I think the way the team's just playing overall, yeah, there's just no doubt. I mean, again, if Jimmy G were to be back, we're talking about maybe for the NFC Championship game or the Super Bowl. What? No, there's no way. Unless you unless you got to the Super Bowl and Brock Purdy threw three or four interceptions in every playoff game and somehow you still won the game, okay, then maybe. All right, yeah, Brock Purdy's thrown 10 interceptions in the playoffs. We're going to start Jimmy Garoppolo in the Super Bowl. Okay, I understand that. Other than that, I mean, uh, just an absolute disaster. Yes, you ride Brock Purdy, and he's given that team energy, and they're they're rolling right now. He would have to do what Jimmy Garoppolo did three years ago be so bad throwing the ball that it freaks out Kyle Shanahan and turns the quarterback into Bob Greasy and basically says, you're not passing the ball. And then Jimmy G comes back and say, please come help us. Because, yeah, if he's not ready until the NFC Championship game of the Super Bowl, they will have gotten that far with Brock Purdy. Why would you disrupt right. it then with a guy who's just coming back, who hasn't played, and they've all taken to Brock Purdy, they can't put his jerseys on the shelves out there they can't keep him in stock he's quickly becoming a very popular figure 
I have a feeling he's going to be the week one starter next year, and I don't know whether they keep Trey Lance or not. But I, the way it's going so far, it's the Brock Purdy show in San Francisco. All right, let's take a break. When we return, it's after further review time for week 15. We'll do that when this Wednesday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. PFT Live Wednesday edition. Chris, you and I didn't get a chance to talk about this on Monday because one of us was working and one of us was sleeping. But Miles Simmons and I broke down the Terry McLaurin illegal formation penalty that wiped out a touchdown. I got a little heated. I'm I'm concerned about the influence that one official can have over the outcome of a drive, the outcome of a game, a ticky-tack foul, completely irrelevant to anything happening on the field. You throw in the fact that there was communication, apparently, between the official and Terry McLaurin as McLaurin tried to get lined up, and it's something that happens at every level of football. You see it all the time. The, the receiver looks over, and the official you know, either says yes, no, whatever. You can tell by the hand signal. I, I just – I was very – surprised I hear you by the video of it it was blown up and you could see that interaction and maybe McLaurin didn't move up as far as he should have no, but he you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna help if you're gonna help the guy you got to tell him I mean if you have a habit of helping the guy, and we see it in football all the time you don't have to you don't have your hand on the flag ready to throw it like I got this guy now well he's you holding his arm out there he, but see when we go back I want to show this one more time he's holding his arm out there after he tells him to go here's the line you're not on it and he turned away and already gave like gave up on the conversation I've never known a ref to screw a play over, player over and go, hey, you're good, and then throw a flag and do that. But watch his right hand right there. Here, well, I got because my flag he did, ready. I'm well, ready. he did it, but that's after he held his hand out to show him where the line of scrimmage was for five seconds. The ball's on the half-yard oh. line. He's lined up on the two. He moves up to the one and three-quarters yard line when a guy tells him when he looks over. So... You know, that looks worse when it's blown up. He looks farther back when it's blown up. But yeah, that, that, even though it gives us a better look at the official, it makes him look farther off the ball. Well, he's still he's he was clearly a yard behind the line of scrimmage. And to me, again, I don't. I know we're going to show a clip of Dean Blandino. He's, a, he's ahead of the guy in the slot. He's ahead of the guy in the slot. I just think 
Chris, we don't know what was said. No, I know. Between I the know. two. Right. And hopefully there's some audio that doesn't disappear forever. Right? Right. Uh, because there's microphones everywhere at field level. But I don't see anything in that interaction. I mean, I, I agree with you. He puts his hand out. But McLaurin is dismayed by it. I mean, what advantage does he have? By being in the wrong spot. There's okay. No competitive well, edge here. Uh, there is. Completely irrelevant yes. to the play. No, there there is because again, so if we're going to let people line up like that, then it, you're, the, there's no point in ever having a good DB to jam the receiver. That that would be the advantage. So if they did throw a fade and you were doing that, every receiver is going to go. Oh wait, I'm the X. I'm supposed to be on the ball. Can I step back a yard and a half so like uh, Jalen Ramsey or Marlon Humphrey can't jam me and then I can get off the line of scrimmage and get a career release? That's the advantage. But in that on that play, but on that play, no, it's it doesn't matter. But what are we going to, Mike? Point. You talk about it all the time. If we're going to call the rules, we got to call the rules. This is the way the game's played well, for a hundred years. Know, a Seven people on the line of all scrimmage. Right. That's all I'm saying. And and again, I don't know what was said. You're right. That's it's tricky. Uh, it, it is, and and I know Terry McLaurin. He's an awesome dude. He thought he said the guy was good. Maybe he was saying, "Hey, here is good." I, I don't know. Again, it's it's a they're in the end zone. There is people yelling either way, and uh, it was a big moment. That that one didn't bother McLaurin me as much as the non-passing appearance. That. After. Right. He does that one last hand gesture. He doesn't look back over at the official. Watch this here. He looks at him and he points. And then he, see, he throws his hand up again. I don't know what he's doing I, there. I know. But, I know. But again, I'd love to hear the audio. They're yeah. close enough that maybe they could have heard each other speaking. Folks have said there's no obligation whatsoever for the officials to help. John Hussey, the referee on Sunday night, said something to that effect. The reality is there's always that communication. There is. There's always that effort by the official and the player to make sure the player's in the right spot. And there's clearly no cause for the official to give bad information. Right. right? That's I've... absolutely – so I, that that's what concerns me about that. Yeah, I hear it you. It showed me, regardless of what the explanation is, it showed me there is a pathway. For an official to engage in some shenanigans if he or she chooses to do so, away from the ball. You only think of the referee really as the one who's got the ability to screw things up or whoever's calling pass interference 40 yards down the field. Those officials on the line of scrimmage at each side, there's an opening there for some shenanigans. And I hadn't thought of that before. And that's what concerns me because the NFL better be damn sure they've got the ship properly righted as to the possibility that someone may use that discretion to take a key touchdown off the board, to keep a team from winning that may have been on track to do so. that That's what alarmed me about that. Yeah, I, I well, listen, I, I hear you. I, I totally understand that, and, you know, we've hit on this a lot. It's, it's the concerning thing with this era okay. and gambling and Let's, all that. It's just one guy. But, uh, again, I did think he was off the line of scrimmage, Uh and I don't want the guys to be too ticky-tack. I understand that. But to me, that was, you know, I, I thought pretty egregious that he was. That that one didn't bother me maybe as some of the some of the other calls in the football game did. Well, let, let's focus on this one just yeah. for a little bit longer. Yeah. Are you willing to accept in advance whatever Dean Blandino says about it, given that he was a very accomplished and effective senior VP of officiating, who ultimately left the NFL because, as he told me on the record a couple of years back, the NFL doesn't value that position, i.e. they are cheap. Yeah, They wouldn't pay what that position is worth, and you get what you don't pay for. 
Do you defer? Are you willing to defer to Blandino, or do you want to hear what he has to well, say? No, no, I, I, I do. I want to hear. What, no, but I'm, I'm, I'm certainly, I'm always open. If there's an angle or something, he's going to point out to me that I haven't thought. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I'm, I'm right, right, but I've watched a lot of football and I do know the game a little bit, so I'm, I'm very interested to hear what, what he has to say here. Let's hear from Dean Blandino on the illegal formation call against Terry McLaurin. The official and McLaurin do have it an exchange. The official does appear to show McLaurin where the line is. McLaurin does move up. He gets set, and then the ball is snapped, and the official throws the flag. Look, when you have that exchange with a player, and we always talk about in this situation, when you have two receivers that are split out wide, we just want to see a slight stagger. We call it a blade of grass philosophy. And if they're not directly on the same line and one is a little bit forward and one is a little bit back, then we don't want to call that. There's no advantage. The defense knows that both of those players are eligible players. And in that situation, to me, that is way too technical to make that call. I don't care if it's in the first quarter with 12 minutes to go or in the fourth quarter on the potential game tying touchdown. It's too technical. Okay, so I understand what he's saying and I agree with it, but he doesn't factor in your thought that right. if it is a fade there, you're in a better position to avoid the jam because you're farther from the line of scrimmage, you're farther from that point of impact that you have to try to get around to try to make the catch. Exactly. In that specific Play. moment, though, obviously right. it doesn't matter. Right. So, uh, But what he's saying is you yeah, they know everything he says. Line. Right, he you knows just have to be eligible. ahead of the guy in the slot. Right, yeah, right. All everything he says there is yes, I agree. My thing is that yeah, if you're going to start letting people be that far behind the line of scrimmage, then you're never going to let a DB jam a receiver on the, the, the who's the X receiver, which is what he was supposed to be there. The X receiver is the guy that is on the line of scrimmage, usually to the open side where there's no tight end. That would be the advantage. That to me is where you got to be careful on this specific play. He's exactly right, and yes, you know. But again, the referee doesn't know that. He doesn't know that either. He's throwing the flag as soon as the ball snapped. He doesn't know if Heineke pulled away to throw a fade or or do that. So that's where it's a little tricky. Um, and and that to me is the only way as far as the tactical advantage you know part is. It's just that fade from a from a receiver. Later in that same drive, fourth down and goal for the Washington Commanders. Taylor Heineke throws a pass to Curtis Samuel, who is covered. He is very covered. He is so covered that the arms of the defensive back literally are covering him. And there is no flag thrown for defensive pass interference. There's the throw. There's the failure to catch because the arms are literally draped over the top of Curtis Samuel. I said, when you see still frames of it, it's like when, you know, someone stands behind someone and sticks their arms through their armpits and moves their hands around like they that's their arms. That's what it looked like he was doing. Like, the red gloves are Curtis Samuel's arms there. Uh, that's clearly defensive pass interference. There it is. There's the one. It's the, it look When you look at it, it looks like Curtis Samuel has tiny little arms with white sleeves and red gloves. It does. It is. That's how, that's how the arms are covering him. <laughs> right. But, you know, Chris, this gets back to what we hear all the time, and I don't agree with it, that, oh, they would have called it early in the game, but when the game's on the line, you let them play. You know, that's not letting them play. That's letting them mug each other. Exactly. That's the problem. And it's, it's, it's wrong, and it's wrong in the fact of how egregiously the penalties called the other way earlier parts of the game.
I mean, DB blows in the ear of a receiver, and we call pass interference the whole game. And then we're going to let manslaughter and mugging go on on the last few drives of the game. That it's just stupid, and that's going to make people. I think question. manslaughter would be a foul. Well, I think manslaughter maybe, would be a foul. Maybe it's just it's like, it, but it, it, that's where people question the integrity of the game, and that's where it bothers me. I, I don't understand that. And then again, it, in in the first three quarters of the game, there's pass interference called on plays where you just go, I, I don't, I can't even believe they call that pass interference, and then they don't call that. It, it, it's across the board in the NFL. And I, I don't I don't get that right now. And it's it's to me not a not a good look for the game and, and it's about again the consistency that I think so many coaches in football talk about to where it's almost like end of the game, okay, I guess we have to teach the game a different way here. We're gonna play one game for three and a half quarters, last two drives, hey defenders, let me coach you. Just pull and push and hold and receivers push and pull and it just doesn't matter and it's going to be a, a WWF brawl in the, in the secondary and uh, that's not right and they, they just need to be the same way throughout the issue of full-time officials comes up from time to time it never gets much traction the NFL is trying to avoid it for one very important reason the NFL is cheap right sorry that's, it's true so it's the second call the NFL we're talking about pay. cheap right doesn't want to pay here we are right yes. right and and what happens is You've got guys who have primary employment, and the NFL is the side hustle. It's the second gig. So you've got your life, your personal life, that's going to take a certain amount of your time. You've got your primary job, and then you've got the NFL job that takes up whatever time you can find at night or whenever, and then on the weekends you're all in. But if you're full-time, you're all in all the time. And here's what would happen. In a world of full-time NFL officials— they would all live in one central location, and they would fly out of that location to their game assignments every week or drive, depending upon where it is and where their game is. And then they would, immediately after the game, all come back, right? And then the next afternoon or Tuesday morning or whatever, all day Tuesday, Monday night, whatever, everybody gets together in the same room. And I know it's 150 of them. So what? Classes convene all the time with that many people in it. Schools, coast to coast, colleges and law schools and universities, not, not high schools that I know of that big. But you get everybody together. And what do you do? What do you do? You go over all the calls from the weekend that was, that has any reason, any merit, any cause to have conversation. And you do it over and over again, week after week, day after day, game after game. And then what happens is guys start to understand what is and isn't pass interference, when they should and shouldn't call it. All the rules where you have variation among the 17 crews, you get consistency. That's the value of full-time officiating. 100%. And then after the season's over, after the season's over, right, you, you, you keep doing it. You go back over, you just keep meeting and talking and communicating and also you've got the accountability because you know what it's one thing to get your grades emailed to you for how you did that week it's another thing to get called out and have it all discussed in a room with all your colleagues of and course. all your peers right it's good it's going to make you more determined to get it right yeah but again chris it's going to be expensive because you have to pay the official enough to get the official to give up his or her primary employment and go all in with a job that has a degree of accountability that most jobs don't have. 
We're not graded every single day. Thank God you and I don't get a report card after every show on what we screwed up or didn't screw up. Most jobs in this country don't have that kind of immediate, constant, everyday accountability like officiating does. So you hit a bad stretch in officiating and you've put all your eggs in that basket and you screw it up, you're done. That's So you have to offer them enough money that they're willing to do that. And they don't want to pay. They don't value the position. This is the same league that a decade ago had a commissioner who told us during the negotiations with the officiating union, the replacement officials will be every bit as good as the regular officials. We saw how that went. And there are people in the league office to this day amazed that it took three weeks for that house of cards to fall down. They thought it was going to immediately collapse. So it's all about spending the money, and they have the money. They just won't spend it, Chris. Yeah, no, and and I, I hate to... I hate to harp on it, but people need to understand. That's what it comes down to. So the fans and the media need to stand up and hold accountable those who refuse to spend the money to make it better for all of us. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm with That's you. I do think it would make the league better. There's no question about that. You know, it's, it's yes, full time officials. The fact of you know talking, being around the game all the time, and it being you know you're almost going to be like a professional football player that way. To where, yeah, you're always around it. You're always talking it. You know, OTAs, hey, you get to be on, maybe hopefully get on to be on the field throughout OTAs again to where you're always used to the speed of the game. I would love to see that adjustment. I think it would be a positive thing. Keep for Keep him NFL. in shape, do simulations. Right. I, I had this conversation with Mike Pereira once after he'd left the NFL. Like, I, what would you do? How would you, how, how would you keep them busy all year long? I could, I could come up with a, a full year plan like that. It's very easy. Because there's more they could be doing that they aren't currently doing. And anybody who does two jobs. I, there was a time when I was practicing law and trying to do this. You recognize at some level, if I just pick one or the other, I'm going to be a lot better. Not that I'm going to be great, but I'm going to be better at the one that I pick because the other one is taken away from the, the, the one that, that I'm trying to focus on currently. So uh, anyway, it all comes down to the NFL paying. You pay enough, you'll get good officials who will go all in full time and then, and then the officiating will be better. Let's take a break. We've got more PFT Live to come right after this. I don't know how else I can say it, guys. I've said it three different occasions. Well, then I guess I have to say it. I'm not going to be the Alabama coach. I think I've said this over and over and over again. That was 16 years ago today, and Nick Saban continues to be the Alabama coach. <laughs> that was something. Uh, Do you think there's any way, like, maybe he really didn't think he was going to be at that point, and then they came back and made an offer, and he was like, oh, well, damn. Now, okay, maybe I, maybe they all right, they gave me everything I wanted, and I've been asking for it. I didn't think they were going to deliver. you think there's any way that was a possibility? There was a biography of Saban from a few years ago that I read, and like every other book I've read in my life, I don't remember all of the details. But I think it was more along the lines of he knew he had to say that. What else can you really say? Yeah. You still got games to coach for the Dolphins. But it wasn't done. It wasn't done. And there was further negotiation after that to get it done. And who knows? Maybe that, that was part of his ploy. That's part of his leverage. I ain't taking the job. Well, now we got to dig a little bit deeper to get him to take the job. But either way, 16 years later, still the Alabama coach and probably will be 16 years from now. We've got three weeks left in the regular season. 
We're going to do a draft of the most intriguing games, or I guess biggest games, whatever. You, 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 you know what we mean. The best games to come over the final three weeks of the regular season. Chris, you're up. All right. Well, I, I'm going to go to week 17 for the first one. And it's a Monday night football game, and it's, it's to me the biggest game left on the schedule, right? Bills, Bengals. Uh, again, I, I think, you know, minus a flop from one of these teams, and I know the Bengals have the, the New England Patriots this weekend, so it's not a given, uh, but I expect them to win the football game. I don't think we're ruining anything for our picks podcast. I'd be pretty shocked if you took the Patriots in this one, where, where this Bills Bengals could have, you know, huge implications, not only just on seating, but maybe home field advantage. You know, and again, as good as the AFC is. Uh, you know, you just you want the highest seed possible because, yeah, it's very realistic that the number one seed could lose in the divisional round, and now you're the number two seed or even the number three seed, and, hey, we're, we got to host the, the AFC championship game. So that's the first one on my radar there, Mike. I think that game's going to determine the one seed. If the Bills win, they'll be the one seed. If the Bengals win, it's going to be Cincinnati or Kansas City that's the one seed. That is a huge game, and that is the biggest game left on the schedule. I'm going to Christmas Day and not Buccaneers-Cardinals. I'm going Packers at Dolphins. For the reasons we discussed earlier in the show, we're going to learn a lot about both of these teams. The Dolphins trying to hang on. The Packers trying to get in. The Packers have beaten the Bears and the Rams, as I said earlier, B and F and D. Let's see them beat the Dolphins if we're going to take them seriously down the stretch. That's a huge game. That's it. That that's just a, a huge game, and it's got that special added aura because it's on Christmas. Yeah, it it it, it is. It, it is. It's uh, it's definitely one of the ones on my list here because it's it's a you know it's relevant right now. It's it's the biggest thing on the radar as we see right now. It's where I'm going to kind of stick with this week too, just because of the importance right now. And I don't know where it might be in two weeks. The Chiefs Seahawks game quietly lining up to be. One of the more exciting games, I think, of this weekend that maybe people aren't noticing. I mean, one, we know the Seahawks can can throw the ball and make some moves, and the Chiefs' defense is not the 49ers' defense. So I would think that the Seahawks can, can make this interesting, and they're fighting for their life now. I mean, it's do or die. It, it, does, it looks bleak. So between that and then, as your point you just made, between when I was talking about Bengals and Bills, well, they still need the Chiefs. One of those teams, they, they need the Chiefs to falter here, you know, or the Bengals do especially, right? The Bengals need the, the Chiefs to lose another game if they want to win out and, and, and then be the, the AFC champion. So uh, that, that's a big one this week for both football teams. The Chiefs you know, to still have that chance to maybe be the number one seed, and the Seahawks are, are on the outside looking in right now. I'm tempted to go Titans-Jaguars because I think it's going to be for the AFC South crown, but but – that there's no clarity on that yet. Yeah, I know. I that's where it's tough with those I'll go Ravens-Bengals week 18. Rematch of a game earlier this year that Baltimore won. Currently, the Bengals have a one-game lead in the division. If the Ravens would beat them, they'd have the head-to-head sweep and thus the tiebreaker. So I have a feeling the division is going to ride on that. But who, whoever loses is probably still getting in. It's not going to be winners in, losers out. But there's still going to be a division title on the line. Yes, uh, the, that that's right. No, no, I, I, it's it's uh, it, it's hard actually to figure out which ones to pick here for my last pick. I, I know we're going to go to a break here, right? You but, got some time. Yeah, good. Take a break. Good. I got to. You have an extra thirty this. seconds or forty-five or whatever it is. Depends <laughs> on how much longer I talk until we go to break. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this.
Chris is agonizing over his final pick in the draft of the best games left in the 2022 season. Have you come to a conclusion? I have, and I'm going to chicken out. And because of I don't know how important a Week 17 or a Week 18 matchup is going to work, I'm going to stay with another matchup in Week 16 here. And I'm going to go – There's this one's got implications not only for the playoffs, but you know even some other things that go along with this. The Thursday night football game, the Jags and the Jets – I mean, we know both of these teams are in kind of must-win situations. And then I think when you add on top of the, the like, whoa, the questions of Zach Wilson and the future and now the way Trevor Lawrence has started to look here over the last four and five weeks, I think that adds even more pressure to the game. Maybe more pressure for Zach Wilson and the Jets. You know, last year they played each other and Zach Wilson and, and company got the best of the Jaguars. Right now it seems like, you know, if you listen to the fan bases, it's, going in totally opposite ways. So uh, I'm, I'm pumped for this Thursday night matchup. I think it's going to be a good one. A lot of studs on the field. And, you know, two quarterbacks that got big-time potential and Trevor Lawrence obviously playing a more clean game right now than Zach Wilson. The top two picks in the 2021 draft, and obviously Lawrence ahead of Wilson right now. And the Jets dropped the ruse on Tuesday. They could have waited until today. They ruled out Mike White on Tuesday. As we had reported, it was unlikely he was going to play. He's got that rib that needs to calcify or he's at risk of a punctured lung. So he's out. Zach Wilson's in. I'm going to Week 18, and I'm going to Orchard Park, New York. Patriots-Bills. Regardless of knowing whether or not the Patriots need the game to get into the playoffs, regardless of knowing whether or not the Bills need the game to be the one seed, I just think that if the final chapter of the Patriots 2022 season is getting stomped by the Bills like they did the last time they played their 47-17 in the playoffs last year, the storm clouds are going to be there. What the Crafts do about it remains to be seen. But the storm clouds have gathered. What happened on Sunday is on Bill Belichick. They have been down this year. The fan base is up in arms. How much longer will this last? And I don't think they'll fire him. I think they'll make it known he's available to be had by another team that wants to compensate the Patriots. That's how it will end if it does end. But if they get embarrassed by the Bills to end the regular season and don't go to the playoffs, Chris, I'm not ready to say it won't be done. I'm, I, I mean, I hear you. It does seem like there are some you know, clouds gathering there. I think it's a little crazy as of right now. But, hey, you know. This is the NFL. It's the reality of the situation, and there have definitely been some things you can be skeptical about as far as the greatest coach and some of the decisions he's made for this football team this year. I understand that. So you're right, Mike. I don't know. That could be interesting. Bills, they handled them a few weeks ago on Thursday night. That'll be scary for the Patriots. And some big changes could indeed be coming. Either way, either way, big changes are coming to the Patriots. The question is, will Bill Belichick be the coach next year? We are done for today. Have a great Wednesday. See you tomorrow. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.